Let's pray. Father God, it is a... I don't even think privilege is enough. It is a example of your boundless and unmatchless grace and mercy that your word is open, that we're doing this here together in a place you've provided with new hearts that you've made, uh, making into the image of your son. There is not sufficient word or voice that we can give to this, but Lord, I just ask that you would receive our, our thanks and our praise. You would create in us a heart that is desperate for you above all else. That you give us eyes to see the value that the unending, unmatchless value of knowing you and being known by you the pleasure and the joy that's at your right hand. Make us to know that. Lord, forgive us of so many moments and minutes and opportunities we've given away in pursuit of things that don't satisfy and things that don't bring pure joy and pleasure like you do. I pray that our hearts and times of apathy would also be cleansed from that. You're the one who makes us walk in a manner worthy, and so, Lord, we ask that you would do that for us by the power of your word, even here in these moments. We believe and hope for um, your voice, your conviction to move upon us by your spirit. Your truth to bear the fruit in our own hearts for your glory and our good. And so I ask on behalf of these people gathered here in your name that you would do those things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's hardly a more neglected spiritual discipline than fasting. And fasting is assuredly coupled with prayer. And so you put the two together and you find, at least in this culture of Christianity in America, a, a uh, desert in the realm of prayer and fasting. And some of it comes from just a lack of knowledge and experience, or maybe even perceived opportunity and certainly a lack of desire to do such things in a place that's so self-indulgent and gluttonous and what Donald Whitney calls a denialless society. We aren't used to denying ourselves anything or don't even see the purpose for that or have opportunity to do that. And so the, the things that really cause us to, I dare say, flex spiritual muscles or 
enter into uh, the realm of the spiritual realities that play in our lives daily, we so often misunderstand or don't know how to do these things. And if you're like me, fasting is confusing. Because I think a lot about this Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is asking us to approach prayer in these spiritual disciplines with a, uh, a heart that is devoted to the Lord, and that's only possible if you're born again and His Spirit lives within you. But then you also have this responsibility at play and how to acknowledge or live in that heart devoted to God. And so you recognize that you can't approach prayer or fasting without those pure motives. But while the flesh is still at play, causing havoc and waging war against you and creating this thing that's telling you, well, you're not fully devoted to this, so don't do it. But then you have your spirit, which is testifying with the spirit that this is good and godly and you do need and want to do this and you have this dichotomy in yourself and it's troubling. I even experienced this in my own home this week. Oftentimes the boys will tell me that their, their mind is telling them these things that aren't true and telling them to do things they don't want to do. And that's the experience of every human being on earth. But they have in that experience because they know that those things aren't good and they know that those things aren't true. And so as they begin to question those things and see the, the falsehood of those things compared to the truth, which is present in their lives, they feel that war waging. And the only way to respond to that is to put off the old self, acknowledge the lies for what they are, and simply lean on the truth despite what your feelings are saying. And so these spiritual disciplines, we encounter them in that way sometimes. And so I first want to acknowledge that with you, that these aren't easy but they are normal and expected as part of the Christian born-again life. And that by the power of Christ's Spirit living within you, you can approach these in a wholly devoted manner. And again, it all comes back to, are you seeing and seeking Him as a normal way of life? Are you aware that what is happening around you is more than temporary encounters of the flesh and the mind, but what is happening around you is actually being orchestrated and used by God for His eternal glory and your eternal good and whoever else God is working on through you to bring good and to and glory to Himself. Are you acknowledging that this life is temporary, but the effects of it are eternal and are being worked out as we speak? And if you are acknowledged what we are calling these days as the spiritual realities at play, if you're acknowledging those, and that changes the way that you encounter the world. It changes the way you live. It changes what you look to, depend on, trust, in essence, put faith in. And if you're a Christian, that becomes who? Who? 
And the way that Jesus is directing his followers and future followers in the Sermon on the Mount is to be dependent, wholly dependent on a father who cares. And through Jesus, he is our intimate, eternal father. So we need to discuss fasting from verses 16 and 18 because they have to become a normal way of life by a born-again spirit. Just as prayer is an ongoing conversation with your Father as you depend on Him for all that you need, both physically and spiritually, fasting is the spirit or the action that communicates your ultimate desire for Him. For Him, above all things, and through all things, that He may ultimately be glorified, and you may revel in His glory. So it is no mistake as well, that as I prepared these slides, there's a white background with black letters. There is no images. There's no art. In essence, I'm even trying to communicate through these slides that maybe we need to fast from the moving media and, and presentations of media in our day and simply look at what is here in front of us. Fasting is God-centered hunger, but hunger for what? In essence, what is fasting? Donald Whitney, who uh, wrote a book that I commend to everybody on spiritual disciplines, says, Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Now, that's a really simple definition and explanation on what fasting is. And he goes on throughout the rest of the book to further, or for the rest of that chapter, further explain um, the different forms that fasting may take and the different purposes for why you would fast. But just on the surface, just examining the scriptures, this is what we see. Okay? And we'll, we'll discuss for the, the different reasons and purposes that this takes place. But, and it comes about when something, or maybe someone, is exerting so much influence over you that your view of the spiritual realities at play is blurry. And the fast comes into play to reorient and clear up our focus on God. So it helps us to take our mind off, our eyes off, our heart off, whatever is occupying a space that only belongs to God, and to recenter, reorient, or refocus on Him. Because we'll learn at the end of this chapter in Matthew 6 that that is only and firstly and prominently where our focus should be. And one of the great schemes of the evil one is to get our eyes off of him. He's surely doing that with unbelievers. Don't you think he wants to do that with believers? And so one of his greatest tools becomes the affluence 
of, of the culture that we live in. We have so many other things to look at, so many other things to grab our attention and that will try and compete for our devotion. We'll try and offer us a pleasure and a joy that only comes from God and is uh, the only thing that satisfies. So, when we fast, we are communicating first and foremost to ourselves that we must maintain and regain at times a biblical perspective, which is difficult. But if, if we are, as born-again believers, now living a life that as his ambassadors, as we are living a life that is preparing us for a weight of glory that is unimaginable, as we are living a life that is leading up to glorification in his presence forever, to which we are a part of this church that is called his bride, that is going to be given to him as a gift from the Father, we are to live at all times with a biblical perspective on everything that we do, on every relationship that we have. Because now we have a life that is a living sacrifice that we can offer to him. It's the only thing that we have to offer to him. And so fasting acknowledges that there are greater needs and desires that should overcome us and be our focus. Verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we know in verses 16 and 17 that fasting is expected. It's expected because Jesus occupies the space at the right hand of the Father in heaven and not at your current right hand in the space in which you live and exist. And he communicates the reality of fasting coming to his disciples. Once his physical presence is not with them, uh, a couple chapter, chapters later in Matthew 9 and in verses 14 through 15, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It is something that his followers will do. And just take heart, if you are a follower of his and you have not ever fasted, you will. We are going to help you understand what that means to do. And then you will do it as you learn and as you grow. Certainly this study has been helpful for me. Fasting has been a part of my life, but not a normal part of my life. I, it's not a, a discipline that I exercise like prayer. And why not? 
uh, I read this week, John Calvin said the same thing. If, if we saw the ancients, that is, the apostles and those who came way before us, especially even before him, uh, do this, uh, live this way with this spiritual discipline, then why would we disregard it? Why, why is it not a part of the way we live? And the answer is pretty simple. We may not have a hunger for God. We, we may not be seeking His will in all things. We may not truly understand or care to acknowledge the, the state in which our hearts are. We don't want to look in the mirror. We don't want to know that we are in need because then that presents to us that we are weak and helpless. But in fact, if you read your Bible long enough, you'll realize that those who are of esteemed faith, those who are closest with the Lord are those who understand a weakness in their self and are gladly dependent on a father who cares. Those are the men of renown and the women. Those are who we look to in Scripture as examples to imitate. Not those who think they're strong. Not those who think they're well. But those who are in need. John Piper says this about fasting. He says, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Hmm. Some of you experienced homesickness growing up when you would stay the night at a relative or a friend's house. That desire to be back at home with what's familiar, to be back under that umbrella of love that you cherished, and when you are away from it, you miss it so because it's not your present reality or what you are experiencing in the flesh, and so you long for something else. And isn't that the exact spirit that we read of from Abraham? Not a perfect man. We went through Genesis here. You saw that. But what did he do? Why do we continue to hear about him even to the book of Hebrews? He longed for God. He longed for a city whose architect and builder was God. Isn't that how Paul continues his mission work and ministry? Is a longing for something else? If he is looking for an earthly success that satisfies in his work, then he is to be sorely disappointed and to continue looking. But if he is looking to the author and perfecter of his faith, if he is looking to a prize and a crown that belongs to him as he serves as an ambassador for Christ here, if he is looking to glories that aren't worth comparing with his suffering, then he is longing for something bigger and better and ultimately eternally satisfying. And he can continue. his work, and his life of suffering for that purpose. So, one of the first questions you ask yourself when you 
are thinking about fasting is what do I actually hunger for? And fasting can serve as the vehicle or the example or the symbol or, or the test of your own heart. Am I more interested or desiring this meal than I am the Lord? One time-tested exercise that some men and women have used throughout the centuries is at the beginning of the day, what is their greatest hunger? For most of us, right, it's to break the fast. What's going on the skillet this morning? But you can begin to make, or like Paul says, beat your flesh into submission so that your soul dictates what you need and want at the beginning of each day. So breakfast doesn't happen until my diet of the word has been fulfilled. Jesus said himself, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. When his disciples are worried about having something to eat, especially for him, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's what satisfies him. That's what he needs. In fact, that's what he enjoys. It's not to say that you can't glorify God in enjoying good food. But is that food secondary to your desire for enjoyment of God in whatever that is? So, Another thing that Donna Whitney communicates is that your fasting must be connected to a purpose. And more directly, must be connected to a spiritual purpose. Without a purpose, fasting uh, can be a miserable, self-centered experience. Amen. I like to eat like you guys probably do. I'm not going to go without food just because. There's got to be a greater <clears throat> reality or purpose at play for why I would do that. Why I'd give that up. Otherwise, yeah, what, what would be the point? <clears throat> even, even for your own health, right? Fasting is a good thing to do. And you may need to do that at times for your health, but there's a greater purpose even for fasting. One that is going to bring more fruit even than the physical reasons for fasting. And think about fasting this way, okay? Because it's odd and unnatural to us as humans who are trying to self-preserve to go without food. It's a negative act for a positive purpose, okay? It's a negative act for a positive for purpose. You're, you're depleting yourself or depriving yourself for something greater. So the, the Bible also recognizes uh, fasting as an infliction opposed by oneself for a positive purpose in our hearts or, for, or in other hearts. <clears throat> Leviticus 16 is talking about a prescribed fast in the law. Leviticus 16, 29 through 31, and it shall be a statute to you forever 
that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. So you deprive or take a miserable physical state for a positive purpose. Also, we fast in worship. You can go back to the, to the birth narrative of Jesus where you run into Anna. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, that doesn't mean she didn't eat night and day. I mean, she fasted a meal or two or whatever throughout the day and night in worship. She devoted her life after the death of her husband to seeking the Lord. And what was her reward? Well, after she turned 84, she saw the incarnation of Christ. That was worth it. She saw him. That was worth it. She got what she wanted. Fasting also serves as a spiritual reminder. When you fast, you hunger. Your hunger may be used to remind you of something or someone to pray for. So every time your stomach growls or your mouth waters because you smell something appetizing, that can be a reminder to seek the Lord for whatever the case may be. To pray for your spouse, to pray for a lost loved one or friend, to pray for a certain circumstance that you're experiencing, that someone else is experiencing, that God may be glorified, that you may know his will, all that sort of thing. Hunger in those moments is a tool. And here's what we're going to get at in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what I'm, I'm learning. That self-imposed hunger, uh, anxiety, fear, whatever the case may be, these can be, in a redeemed sense, by the power of the Spirit, tools for our sanctification. In other words, it's the same thing that Paul experiences with the thorn in the flesh. Uh, it, it's the messenger of Satan somehow in some way sent to him for what? His good. So we need to view either these self-imposed afflictions or afflictions from the outside or however they, the Lord sends them as tools for our sanctification. Then the power of God reigns over those even while we are weak under them. And they become vehicles for our holiness. And you become more than conquerors through him who loved you. You see how that works? 
fasting is not to earn God's favor in prayer. It's not like, Lord, I skipped this meal, so now that I'm praying during lunch instead of eating, I expect that you're going to especially hear this and answer this because I'm giving up, you know, fill in the blank. No. That's obviously the wrong heart. It's, it's always an expression of the intensity of a holy desire. The expression of the intensity of a holy desire. So let it be a reminder when you do it of what it is you're seeking from or in the Lord. Also, fasting is to seek His Guidance. When you are so desperate to know his will on a certain matter, that that is what has your attention. You see this in Acts 14. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They want to make sure they got the right people. They want to make sure they got the right guys in place. They want to make sure that the church is ordered and organized according to His will and His way. So I don't know what, what happened when you called me as your pastor or whoever. Did you fast together? See if that's what the Lord wanted? I mean, this is a pattern we see in Scripture. Therefore, it's something we should follow if we really want to know what He wants. Sometimes we may skip that because we don't want to know the answer because it may be different than what we've already decided. People fast because of grief. This is one area where you don't really have to teach people to fast. You, everybody in this room has experienced some sort of unspeakable heartbreak. And you felt it at that moment, right? You had a holy desire for something other than what was grieving you to the point that that occupied all time and space and energy in your heart and mind and body. Eating? Who cares? Sleeping? Those, those necessity of, of life in the moment of grief do not matter. You don't have to teach people how to do this when they're grieving. In 2 Samuel 1, 11 through 12, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted, until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David was grieved by these things that had taken place even to Saul and certainly his own son. And the immediate response to grief was fasting and weeping. We fast in repentance. And this is even instructed by the Lord in Joel 2.12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, 
Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. We are so desperate to rid ourselves of that sin that befell us that we seek the Lord with all diligence. We give up meals and go after Him and want to return to Him so bad. Want to separate ourselves so far from that grievous thing that took place that we take no mind of eating. But we spend time in repentance and just amazement of what is taking place in our heart and asking the Lord to create in us a clean heart like David said. And as one Sunday school class did this morning, you can go read Isaiah 58, 1 through 10, and you can look at uh, kind of an example of true and false fasting. You can fast for the wrong reasons. You can fast in a way that the Lord won't acknowledge. That's why Jesus is instructing them here, because the Pharisees had been living and teaching fasting in this way, and Jesus says, no, fasting is this. Fasting is private. Fasting is personal. Fasting is that intense desire and hunger for the Lord. In whatever situation, for whatever reason is happening, and those are just a few examples of why fasting may come or why you may do it in your life. So, it's important to talk about how do I fast, right? Because we say fast. We read fast a lot in the Bible. We see these things, but how do you do it? What would it practically look like? How do you know you're doing it right? Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't really get into that. He talks about um, keeping yourself clean and kept and looking like you're ready for the day, just like you are when you're eating and going about your normal life, so that nobody's seeing this, so that it's a private interaction between you and the Father, so that you're not making a big to-do, because if you are, you're seeking the attention of men, and there's your reward, and that is worth nothing. But if it's the Lord you seek, if it's the Lord you desire, then that fast will bear that fruit. He tells us that. He will reward that. So how do I do that? First, you, you, you use those tests that I already mentioned earlier with your heart. What do I really want? Is, is my hunger just driving me to want to eat more? Or is it serving as a reminder for a desire for God? What do I want? Usually a good question for the Christian soul. And practically speaking, usually throughout the Bible, a normal fast is, consists of usually a day. A day away from food. Uh, never from water, typically. In extreme cases, yes, at times. Paul, Paul, right after he encounters Jesus for three days and nights, he doesn't eat nor drink. And we know that the human body doesn't go three days without water. So you never see that. Except in extreme cases. When Moses is awaiting the law, I mean, he's allowed, he's able to not 
eat or drink for 40 days? Jesus, I mean, we don't know. It doesn't say that he didn't drink, but it could have happened. But it's usually, typically, just from food, and most of the time for a day, uh, could be several days, but just so you don't get bent out of shape on how long or the details of that, we're usually seeing that. Or uh, a lot of times you see in Scripture, it's like until evening. So it could be a meal or two. And another question you need to ask yourself when you're thinking about how do I fast, can you fast, medically speaking? There may be reasons, um, dietary reasons, that you cannot fast. That's why... A fast may involve something else. So you may be able to fast from something else. Here's an example in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. You can fill in the blanks on what they're fasting from. But he's talking to a husband and wife here. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that's an example of a fast from something else. I'll even go a step further and say, you know, we're all addicted to our phones. We may need to fast from our phones so that we reorient ourselves to what that thing really is and what really I should be looking at and focusing on and seeing. Maybe TV. I mean, we have lots of things that we can fast from so that we can put into perspective the importance of what that thing is in light of who God is. And a fast will do that. And I know, because you all do this from time to time, you'll tell me, like, man, I realize that I really don't miss TV. Or I really don't miss my phone. Or I really don't miss football. I mean, whatever it is, you'll find that it pales in comparison uh, uh, to who the Lord is and into your communion with him. It will always prove for the Christian to be so much more, like not even comparable, satisfying and fruitful. To use that time that you were focusing on something else to now focus it on the Lord. You'll all experience the same thing if you love him. If he's your treasure. And when you fast from whatever the thing is, just like we read in 1 Corinthians 7, you use that time to be specifically and especially devoted to prayer, worship, and seeking the Lord. It's not that you say, well, you know, I'm not going to look at my phone before bed. It's that like, okay, I've put that away for the specific purpose of, of seeking the Lord through prayer, worship, or reading his word. So you, you have to have a reason for why that thing is gone and now something else is present. And also, do this. This is good advice. You can start your practice, your life of fasting by confessing any fear of that practice. By just simply communicating to the Lord, I didn't know what this is. I'm afraid of giving up things that I like. So, Lord, remove that fear by your goodness and by the glory of what will be wrought in my life through fasting. He is so kind and gentle and patient with us. 
even when we're weak and of little faith. So tell them. Also, I would recommend scheduling your fast so that you do not put it off and you make it a regular part of your life. I don't know what your schedule is like or what your life requires, but hopefully you can find somewhere in that where you acknowledge um, this day or these hours of my life are spent um, devoting myself and that specific time to the Lord. I know a guy who uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays does not eat lunch so that he can meet um, with certain people over that hour that can only meet during that hour and he can counsel and pray for and with them. So he won't eat. That's a fast, especially to devote himself to that, to the Lord's work in people's lives. Uh, don't say a word about it, okay? That's, that's the gist, right, of these spiritual disciplines Jesus is communicating to us in Matthew 6. They are about your relationship with your Father through Jesus. Don't say a word about it, or you're going to be like the Pharisees, and people will applaud you, and you'll get your reward. Keep yourself together. And fast. Don't rub ashes on your face and walk around dejected and say, man, I'm just so hungry, but I'm fasting, you know, because I'm really in love with the Lord. You may need to tell your spouse that you're fasting. Or if somebody prepares your meals, you may need to tell them to lay off for a minute. But just be quiet. Be open to fasting as the Spirit leads you. You, you may schedule this. You may plan this. You may have this as a regular pattern of your life to continue to make sure that your focus is on the Lord and you're wholly devoted to Him. But there may be times and places where you recognize that I have to have the Lord in this. I need to know His will in this. And that may require you to fast when you didn't plan to fast. So be open to it. You're a spiritual being. The Spirit leads you. Do not be disappointed if you do not know how or when the Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's not something that you can plan. It's not something that you know. You don't know when or how he will reward you. You don't even know that you may be getting a reward for that. But I would argue, uh, just in the sense that the Bible communicates this, he is your reward. So even if it just draws you into a, a deeper recognition of the fact that he is with you and cares for you, and is, and is bringing all things to this culmination of eternal glory, namely for himself, in which you will live forever. That's the reward for everybody. Now, he may at times reward you with 
uh, a knowledge of the insight that you're seeking. He may reward you with uh, maybe that person that you're praying and fasting for coming to faith. He may let you see these things now. There may be immediate rewards, and a lot of times there will be. But don't be disappointed if some major thing doesn't happen because you fasted and prayed. Some earth-shattering movement doesn't occur because you fasted and prayed. You don't know how he works. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, right, in relation to the Spirit moving, he says, you don't know where the wind blows or where it comes from or where it's going. Your, your reward is that you have intense, intimate communication with the sovereign God of the universe who hears and knows you, who counts those moments of, of uh, devotion and prayer as precious, who keeps them in golden bowls. It's a sweet aroma to him. He loves that. And if you love your father, you love to do what he loves. You just love him. You seek him and you get him. And there is your reward. That's so much more than man can give by their applause or their respect. You don't need validated by anybody else for your holiness. You just need communication with your dad with your Father. To know Him and be known by Him. And so church, when you fast, do it in these ways and for these reasons. And there will be reward. Somehow, some way. So I would uh, pray that we would all begin to make this a normal part of our lives. I would ask that you'd respond to him, maybe ask him how this should take place in your life or why you may need to fast, and then we'll stand and sing together.